Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. Zach Draves is a writer who has been doing some really good stuff over the last few years, um, wanting to write more and more about LGBTQ issues in sports. And uh, last week he outdid himself. He, in preparation for a series he's doing on the 30th anniversary of the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, he tracked down Keith Frostad, who was a swimmer at those Olympics, and he quickly figured out that Keith was gay. Keith had never talked publicly about being gay at those Olympics, and the story that he got out of Keith was pretty harrowing. Keith was harassed for being gay. Keith was told essentially by a representative of the USOC to not talk publicly about being gay. And it it really got to him. Uh, Keith has bottled this up for almost 30 years. Some people knew what was going on, uh, but the public has not. He has Tony Scuppum Bilton is the world's most renowned LGBTQ Olympic historian. And Tony had not heard of him. He was not on Tony's list of uh, LGBTQ Olympians. Uh, this week, Keith joins me from his home now in Long Beach, California, and shares with me a lot of the details um, of, of experiences that he shared with Zach. So I hope you enjoy my interesting and very educational conversation with Olympian Keith Frostet. Keith, thank you so much for joining me. So Zach Draves had this article that uh, came out uh, last week. And what's the reaction been like? Well, I didn't even post it to my Facebook yet. Um, a couple of my friends saw it and posted it on their Facebook. I did post it to one of my groups I'm in on Facebook, uh, Gay Life After 40. I posted it. And now everyone seems to be wanting to read it. So I'm going to post it to my Facebook at some point. But I think, you know, in terms of like my family, I, I, I don't think they were really prepared for what they read. I, um, they, they didn't know to the extent how I was treated. And I think they felt sad about it. You know, they, they, were, they were shocked with what they read. They didn't know a lot of it. And for a lot of, I didn't say anything. I kept it quiet for all these years. I was, I was embarrassed to be quite frank. And now, you know, when Zach kind of pulled it out of me, I was sort of like a waterfall. I just kept going and going. And I got it all out. Not everything. I kept some stuff, but I got a lot of it off my chest and I felt really good, you know, once, once I got it out. And then when I had to tell my family, I was like, hey, listen, this article is going to come out. It's about how I was treated, you know, being a gay Olympian. It was not easy. It's not going to be an easy read for you because there's a lot of things you don't know. And um, after their interview, if you ever want to talk about it, we can. So. You, you said that, so in the story, you talk about um, s s abuse from a handful of people that range from mild to really effing bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, why? Were you embarrassed by this so much that you didn't tell your family? I, I don't know why. I, I, was, I was embarrassed, and I shouldn't have been. I don't think back then 
I, I mean, I don't know if you read the whole article, but you know, some of the things that uh, I was training, just a little background. I was training with the University of Texas women's team because my coach was Mark Schubert, Schubert and he was coaching the women's team. So I trained with the women's program, just to be clear. And when I was training there, you know, back in 1990 to 92, it was a very tough time. It was a different time, obviously, back then. Um, I'm hoping ideas have changed, but it was a really rough time. <laughs> you, you said you were openly gay at the Olympics. And yes. so as far as, as far as I know, Robert Dover was the first athlete who was publicly out um, at a games in 88. Mm -hmm. um, you say you were, you were out, but frankly, Everybody I've written knew. about gay athletes for 23 years. I hadn't heard of you. I mean, I'd heard of you, but I hadn't heard this part of the story. Everybody so, knew. So Everybody knew. You know, I don't know if you read the article part where... I did. Where the United States Olympic Committee told me to keep quiet about it. You know, this was months before the Olympics took place. After I qualified, they said... Hey, Ooh, I hope you don't feel the need to protect anybody. Who at the USOC at the time... I don't remember. There was two people. It was a man and a woman. The woman was basically taking notes. And he just came up to me. This was in Tampa. And he'd come up to me and said, hey, congratulations on making the team. Now we hear that, uh, you, know, you're, you know, you're out and you're gay. You know, we want to remind you the Olympics. And this is an exact quote. The Olympics is not a political event. It's a sporting event. <laughs> so I was like, well, are you threatening me? Because I made this team fair and square. And they're like, he's like, no. Just swim and you'll be fine, you know. So that was the extent of that conversation. You know, that was a rough day that that particular day because right after that conversation, I had got all my equipment because we were in Tampa to get all our equipment to be processed to go overseas, and um, I was kind of waiting behind a wall and on the other side of the wall was this like patio and where people were just congregating and stuff. And there's like a group of guys on the team and they're talking about who their roommates were going to be over overseas. And then someone said, well, who's going to be a uh, frost dad's roommate. And someone said, not me. Cause I don't want to be woken up at two 30 in the morning, him molesting me. So, I mean, just stupid stuff. That particular day was a rough day for me. You know, I can, I can hear a, a trembling in your voice. This is still yes. emotional for you. Yes, very. You know, the, the way those guys treated me on that particular team, the, the Olympic team, and, and it wasn't everyone. I want to be very clear here. It wasn't everyone. It was a, a handful of guys. And, um, it, and there was a handful of, and at University of Texas was really bad too. You know, I mean, I think you read where, one of them tried to run me and Amy Shaw over after afternoon practice one day, we're going back to our car and one of them tried to run me over, you know? It was, um, yeah, it was a very rough time. I'm glad I'm getting it out. I kept it secret for way too long. And I know a lot of people could have benefited from this story years ago. And that's my regret. I didn't come out sooner with this story. Who tried to run you over? <laughs> I'm not gonna, say the name, but maybe Amy Shaw will remember. She was walking with me in the parking lot. But um, yeah, it was one of the, the male swimmers. And, you know, and one of the swimmers, he'd fagged into my car. You know, 
you know, I, it was a, a very difficult time, almost on a daily basis, right? I was getting some sort of harassment from that team, the male, the male swimmers. And I was in their locker room for the first like three days, but it was so awkward for them to have me in there. They made it really awkward for me to be in there. So I moved to the public locker room, even though, you know, I'm one of the, I'm the best distance swimmer in the country at this time. I moved to the public locker room to make them feel better because they had felt so bad with me there. And the pool was a 50 meter pool. The women trade trained on the far side of the pool where the, where the pool was cut in two, basically. The men trained on one side, the women trained on the other. On the men's side, the public locker room, I would walk out of the public locker room, I would have to walk past the men's swimming to go down to where the women were training. Because remember, I was training with the women's team. And on a daily basis, walking past that team swimming, it was sort of like an obstacle course. I was getting things thrown at me, equipment thrown at me. I was getting cat calls, whistles, all this kind of crap from these guys on a daily basis almost, <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I'm, the coaches knew, the coaches tried to do something, I guess, but it didn't last long. You know, you're talking about a, a group of uh, grown men, you know, still very juvenile. I haven't heard stories like this happening in the last 10 years, but you know, every once in a while, I'll hear a story like this from the 90s. And uh, this, there was, this, <laughs> this was very real, um, I, I know. And I, 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 again, I can hear how present you are with it. Um, you said that in, in Zach's story that some of them have reached out to apologize. A couple of them have, yes. What have they and said? What's interesting is one person uh, Facebook messaged me and apologized. Um, this was a while ago, actually, though, before the interview came out. And I didn't even know who he was. And I said, you know, please forgive me. I, I don't know who you are. And he says, well, I never said it to your face, but I made fun of you behind your back. And I'm sorry. And that's even worse because I wasn't man enough to say it to your face. And I want you to know I'm sorry. And I said, well, why are you telling me this now? He said, because someone very close to me is gay. And I don't want them to be treated the same way you were treated. Very interesting, you know, and this person I'd never met, but at least admitted to making fun of me on the pool deck, you know? Yeah. Well, it's good to hear that some of these people have evolved. I think uh, a lot of people have evolved on these issues and, you know, even if you didn't know who it was, it must have must have felt somewhat gratifying that this person took time out of their day to reach out. Yes, yes. And, you know, I, I try to, to say to myself, people in general are afraid of what they don't know or they don't understand. And back then, I keep trying to put a positive spin on it. Well, maybe they didn't understand what it was like to be gay. But when I... I took, after the Olympics in 92, I kind of retired for two years and the company I was worth, uh, with said, hey, you know what? The Olympics are in Atlanta this year in 96. Why don't you go part-time and try to make the Olympic team again? You could, you know, and my, I had a, so this was in Boston, Massachusetts. And I said, it really takes like four years to make an Olympic team and not just two, but I did it anyway. 
you know, they moved me part-time. Uh, Jill Chasson, who was on the Olympic team with me in 92, her husband was coaching the Harvard men's team. And I reached out and I began training with the Harvard men's team. And I was still so traumatized from what happened in 92 at the University of Texas public locker room. I stayed in the public locker room at Harvard. And they, the Harvard men knew this. And they said, Lawrence, we want you in the locker room with us. <laughs> we want you in the locker room with us. And I said, guys, I, I appreciate that, but I don't feel comfortable. All because of what happened in 92. It was a completely different level of class with these guys, you know? Mm -hmm. I was a single gay guy. And in February of 95, the men's team presented me with, you know, two dozen roses. I was in the jacuzzi after workout and they came over and said, hey, happy Valentine's Day, Lawrence. I mean, just so cool, you know? And it's so easy for us to focus on the negative and the homophobia. Yes. One of my issues with so much of how we talk about this stuff is that because it can be very traumatizing to experience the homophobia, that that we we don't focus enough on the support and it, and from what I Zach's story and correct me if I'm wrong it sounded like there were actually more guys even in '92 who either supported you or just didn't care than the ones who really tried to harass you. Exactly. Yes. The problem is if you're witnessing it and not doing anything about it, then you're sort of complacent with it, right? You're, you're sort of, you're letting it be okay. I mean, I can tell you now, I wasn't the only one on that Olympic team, 92, that people had issues with. They didn't like Ron Carnow either. And they thought he was strange and weird. Ron Carnow was a really nice guy. He's a wonderful man. And they didn't treat him well either. But, you know, the people, had it been reversed, right? Had I seen somebody being treated the way I was treated, I would have said, knock that shit off. That's bullshit. He's a member of this team. I don't care if you don't like his, his, his sexual orientation, but not enough of this. This is crazy. He's still an American. With all of that going on in 92, how sweet was it for you to beat them? Well, yes. Um, in the interview with Zach, I gave an example of some abuse, right? Like the locker rooms before my 400 meter free final in 91 in nationals. I was in getting ready for my final. And then I was in a row of lockers and lockers were separating all of us, right? And down the way, I could hear them talking about the final and they're saying, who's, you know, who's, in the final and they were naming all these names and they got to my name and then everyone laughed, right? It's like, everyone just laughed. And they're like, you're not gonna let that faggot be you, are you? And he's like, oh no, that faggot's pretty fast. And the people I was with and my row, I didn't know who these people were, but they knew who I was because you know I was the best distance swimmer for years leading up to that point. They looked at me to see what I would say. I said nothing and walked out. And I ended up winning the event to shut these people up. But I think the most, Amazing thing is at Olympic trials, I was going in third place into the 1500 meters. I think I missed my taper by a week, you know, maybe not. I don't know. The point is they only take the top two. So I was third going in. I was getting ready to get on the blocks. 
And it's not like it is now where there's like fireworks before each event and all this. There was people warming up and down in the, in the warm-up pool, diving wall right behind me, right? And this one guy says, you'll never make it, faggot. You'll never make it. I've never seen this person before. He obviously was trying to disturb my train of thought while I'm getting ready for the biggest race of my life. The timers looked to me to see what I would say. I looked back. I was like, you just got to let it go. Thinking to myself, this, you work too hard for this. You can't let it distract you. And during the race, it was, you know, there's three of us ahead of everybody else. I wasn't feeling great, but at the same time, I was like, you know, I, I, I cannot not make this team. <laughs> I can't. So I ended up making it. I was very thankful. And the timer said to me, we were all wondering what, what was going to happen with you. You know, we were just really happy you made the team. I looked for that guy after I made it, after I got out of the water to say, hey, have fun watching the Olympics on TV. But he was obviously nowhere to be found. Of course, they go cowardly away you know, when someone succeeds, you know, just crazy stuff that you have, that's stuff that most people don't have to have, have to deal with, you know, I had to deal with that. It's just crazy. Biggest race of your life. Imagine someone telling you said, you'll never make it faggot. You'll never make it. I, um, I played competitive ultimate Frisbee. And this is completely different. It was not, not the Olympics, but uh there was one match uh in los here in los angeles this and this was 10 years after your experiences and i remember scoring a touchdown and one of my opponents calling me a faggot and i went ballistic (laughs) ballistic um, I think I, th- I threw the Frisbee at him and I, I've never punched anybody. I didn't punch him, but I came close. Um, for you to have the composure to not do that and to focus on the race. Um, and my team, a few weeks later, went on to beat his team in the championship game. Um, for you in that moment to keep your composure and then go win. <laughs> it's a pretty powerful testament to you. Yes, I will tell you, it was, I, I was not feeling great during that race, but all I could kept thinking about with like 200 meters ago is what this guy said. So in some ways, he sort of inspired me to find some sort of adrenaline to go. But I completely understand what you just said. The premise is still the same. You know, this country, this country is supposed to be home of the free, right? Isn't that the mantra for Americans? Land of the brave, home of the free. Well, for a large segment, Sid, it's not very free, especially when 17 states can fire you for just being who you are, being gay. I mean, it's not free for a large segment of this of this country, including you and I, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I hear that. I, I also um, see, and I've seen very clearly, reporting on these things over the last 23 years, how much things have changed. And I talk to people in other countries and most other places, particularly in sports, it's worse or a lot worse. And so, yes, we still have a long way to go, um, but the freedoms that we experience in the United States 
are are beyond almost anywhere else. And again, in sports, there is not maybe Canada. Mm-hmm. Outside of Canada, there is not another country where, where where gay men are more accepted in sports than the United States. I bet they are in Europe though too. You know, like Israel or they're not. Oh no, I, really? I, I I I telling you, I talk, I talk to the people doing the work there. The United States sports, um, as far as LGBT acceptance, is five five to ten or twelve years ahead of every country in Western Europe. Wow! Wow! And so yeah, it's, ways to go. That's the sad part, you know. Yeah, I mean, and you think, oh, you know, France and England, and it's so much, you know, freer. And in sports, it's just not the the crap that they hear today is stuff we just almost never hear in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do think things are changing a lot. You know, you might be right. I I was helping a local swim team with their distance program. This was a few years back, I think 2017. And my kids who are coach, who I was coaching were just killing it all the meet. So I was at a meet in Thousand Oaks and these two coaches came up to me to ask, you know, hey, you know, what are you doing with your, your kids? Cause all your kids, and I was only coaching like maybe 12 of the kids on the team, but they just were all doing distance, right? Which is what I swam. And they're like, they're killing it all the meets. They're like the talk of all the meets that you guys are winning everything. What are you doing? So I went over what I was doing. And then and then at the end of the conversation, <laughs> there was this like this awkward silence where, you know, they wanted to say more, but you didn't know how they didn't know how to say it. So finally, one one guy says one of the coaches says, so I hear you went through a lot of shit while you were competing. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And then the other one says, yeah, I wanted to ask, but I didn't know how to ask. So he's like, I'm glad I, I'm glad you asked. And so I, I mentioned a lot of the stuff I mentioned to you and mentioned to Zach and they're like, yeah, he's like, you know, but you opened a lot of doors for a lot of swimmers. And I was like, I don't know about that. And he said, no, you did, because I bring you up. I'm a coach now, and I bring you up specifically to my kids. He said, I have a 13-year-old who's gay. I got a 15-year-old who's a lesbian. I got a 16-year-old who's gay. He's like, I'm on the team, and I tell them how tough you were, because, you know, I used to compete against you, and I didn't know who he was, you know. And he's like, this gay guy this little gay guy was so tough he always seemed to beat me he's like if he can do it you can do it he would tell his kids you know and and then the other coach said yeah i got a swimmer who's just came out a couple weeks ago and he's like yeah it's a different time now which is great and and i'm hoping that it's a different time now i'm hoping children are not harassed you know for being who they are you know children of all people for christ's sake i mean these are kids under 18 and they're courageous enough to come out i mean i wasn't they're the real heroes here you know listen kids get teased about absolutely everything yes <laughs> i got teased because i had glasses when i was a kid so <laughs> you know it, 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 but that's not to dismiss it yeah. um i got i got teased when i was a kid for years um the kids teasing me about being gay and i didn't even think i was gay mm-hmm. and you know i look back at that and i'm actually thankful for it because yeah. it made me so more tough yes my skin is so thicker yeah. so much thicker that there really isn't much people can do to get to me i'll stand up for other people and yes. use, use slurs and stuff i'm not tolerating it but it, you're not going to get to me. <laughs> right. Yes. No, I, I completely agree. I was telling my coworkers who read the articles, like, 
you know, I'm, I'm really tough. I'm a tough man. You know, I, I like, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm rough around the edges. I get it. And I'm tough. A lot of it has to do with how I was raised. I was raised by a single mother, you know, who was, you know, no nonsense. You know, she was not one of these liberal timeout mothers. If I looked at her cross site, she let me have it. You know, she was my biggest cheerleader and I loved her more than anything. We're best friends. She was very tough. And I think I got a lot of my toughness from her. But you're right. Everything that we experienced, you know, every mistake we've made or every failure we've had, every kind of harassment we had has helped us succeed today, you know. And I keep trying to tell that to people. And I want kids to know that it gets better. It really does. You have to hang in there. It's very, um, very emotional for me, you know. Yeah, well, it's emotional for a lot of us. Yeah. I think that's why we pour our work into this. Um, so, you know, let's, like I said, let's talk about the good. Um, a couple of people stick out in your memory or, or moments where you saw support. And, and yes. yeah, tell me about that. I can tell you right now, uh, when I was training with that University of Texas women's team said, they were just like my sisters. They supported me. They protected me when they could. You know, all of them from Christina and Jody and Katie and Dorsey and Whitney, Erica, Janet, BJ, Heather, all of them. They, everything, every time they protected me, they were just like my sisters. And like I, I said to Zach, if they called me at three in the morning in Texas, I'd be there. You know, I love them all. Without them, I probably wouldn't have made it as far as I did. They were very supportive. They loved me. They knew I was gay. They went with me to gay bars. I took them to their first gay bar, a lot of them, uh, the Boathouse in Austin, Texas. <laughs> you should see the look on their faces. Oh man, I'll never forget it. Good <laughs> Jody and Christina, the look on their faces, God love them. <laughs> I can still picture it like it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Is that place still there? I don't know. I think like oil can Mary's is there still, but the boathouse is the first gay bar I took them to. <laughs> Through all of this, were you dating people? Uh, I did date a couple of people. Yeah. Yeah. So you were, you were, you were in the gay community uh, yes. there in Austin. Oh yes. Yes. I tried covering it up like the first year, like 1989 to 90. And then I was like, fuck this. I'm, I'm just done lying to people. I'm just done. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I, I, I love these girls too much to lie. And I was like, forget it. I'm gay. And that's it. <laughs> you know. So in 92, the, the USOC um, essentially told you, do not come out in the media. Keep your mouth shut. Um, but after there was one the man, Olympics, one man who did it. And the woman one was taking notes or something. I, I don't know what the hell she was. I get do. that. But if they were representing yeah. the USOC, yeah. the USOC yeah. told you that. Yes. Yeah. Um, in the 90s, you saw people like Bruce Hayes and Greg Luganis. Um, I mentioned Robert Dover, who was already out on different sport. Did you ever think, hmm, maybe I should reach out to a reporter and add my story publicly? No, no. The only reason I came out is because of another swimmer who came out named Ian Mole. And I, I already got his approval to bring him up. He really said is the one who opened the door for all of us to walk through. Ian Mole took it on the chin for a lot of us that first year before I came out. And um, yeah, he was- I'm not familiar with him. Tell me about him. 
he was a swimmer um, in from Michigan, went to Alabama. I went to Auburn, but I think uh, the swimmers there were really mean to him. So he had to move back. Um, I'm not sure on the whole story, but I know he was not treated well. I mean, I was on the pool deck when people were making fun of him. So, you know, I saw it firsthand. And uh, but he's the one that we need to thank for being okay now. He really was the first one to open the door for all of us. How did you connect with him? Well, we were we were training. We we were swimmers together, so we knew each other, and we'd go out to gay bars when we were in the same town together. Um, but I just reconnected with him a few weeks ago and just told him, "Hey, I did this interview. I want to let you know I brought you into it. And I hope you don't mind." He's like, "Oh no, no, I don't care." But I, I thanked him and said, listen, I, I want you to know, you know, I appreciate all you did for, for me and the rest of us who came out after you, because without you, we wouldn't have done it. So how did this all come about? I mean, it's 30 years after any of this happened. Um, how did you connect with Zach and, and how, did, how did he learn about this part of your story? How did you start talking about it? How did this happen? Well, I think he was just trying to do a documentary on the 92 Olympics. And then he found out I was actually gay on top of it. So then it threw another wrinkle into it. And then he wanted to know more about it. And he sort of gave me the, the road to go down because I really had a lot to get off my chest in this 30 years. You know, and I, once I started, I, I had trouble stopping telling him everything. But it was very therapeutic to tell him everything because I needed to get a lot of stuff off my chest. Anything else you need to get off your chest? <laughs> uh, you know, like I said, I, I really want, you know, I really hope society has changed and is changing. I really pray for our younger generation that they're okay. You know, it's a tough, it's tough for them. I, I understand, I lived it, you know, yeah, I, I really, I didn't have a voice back then, Sid, but now I didn't have a voice, I didn't have any power, but now I do, and I have a voice and I plan to use it from here on out. You know, I, I try to really support, you know, our political candidates that help us, you know, I definitely want society to be, to be better and we have to do better too you know we all have to do better supporting each other so you still coaching no no my mom had gotten sick and so i spent a lot of weekends having to take care of her and i needed to be coaching on the weekends at swim meet, so i had to stop but i plan to go back to it sometime soon because i'm a pretty good coach from what i've been told so <laughs> my kids i'm still in contact with almost all my kids that you was coaching you live in Long Beach now, is that where yes. you are? Yeah. Long Beach, California. Yes. Um, and and like, what do you do? What's I work your... in uh, finance. I work for a major, you know, financial firm, uh, and um, I've been with them now for sixteen years. Sixteen years. Do you do you still keep up with swimming? Do you watch swimming? A, a little bit. I, I really like the open water swimming <laughs> for some reason, which I was really never really good at, but I really enjoy the open water swimming. Um, yeah. So I still do watch the swimming when it's on the Olympics or world championships. I still watch. Yeah. There's, there's never been an NCAA championship that was more watched this year than the, 
the women's <laughs> NCAA Division I championship. Yeah, I can't imagine why. <laughs> uh, I, you know, Leah Thomas, before she transitioned, was more of a distance swimmer. I guess she's, would you, still, would you call her still a, middle, a distance swimmer, middle distance? What would you call her? Uh, well, I think for men, she was better at long distance, but as a woman, she's better at middle distance. I think 500 free is considered middle distance and 1650 is considered distance. But I think, yeah, because she won the 500 free, I think, in a pretty good time. So. <laughs> what, as, as you've watched, I mean, she's the 11th fastest swimmer yeah. in mm -hmm. women's NCAA history. Um, something like 11. Um, at, as you've watched all of this and the, and the conversation explode about it, having... And you competed in men's swimming, but you trained a lot with with the female swimming teams. And what's crossed your mind about it? Yeah, it's a tough one for sure. You know, you want to be supportive of transgender rights, of course. Um, you know, Leah Thomas, I think, is a, a it's sort of um, an exceptional case. I think uh, that was the term that Nancy used. You know, she transitioned as as a man so she already has bigger hands and bigger feet you know it's a tough one for sure i i feel bad for those female athletes it would have been tough for me too yeah i it's well i talked to nancy and many 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 other people over and over and over again about this and i don't know i don't know what the final solution is going to be but you know, you gotta, swimming has come out and said, you know, we we want three years of transition requirements. And, uh, you know, they've really elevated the 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 restrictions. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes from here. Well, that's the interesting part. United States swimming has always been a conservative entity, always. So even that I, I found shocking i was like wow they've really loosened the reins a little bit you know i was talking about this with um, a couple other stores and we were all were saying wow you know u.s swimming so conservative you know it's and now this you know yeah was surprising but that picture on the and the award stand right with leah on top and then the others at the bottom separated i mean a picture says a thousand words you know some of the, uh, well, at least one of those women, I think Erica Sullivan said um, that, that people have misinterpreted that photo, but. Yes, um, yeah, that's I read too. Yeah, I, you know, I. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to believe anymore either. Yeah. Um, well, that's another, another podcast entirely. Um, well, Keith, I really appreciate you taking the time. Please stay in touch. Let I us will. help elevate your voice. And, you know, I. I I, I hope you do dive a bit more into where swimming is today on these things, because um, my guess is you'll find it's a lot different yes. than it was 30 years ago. Well, like those two coaches who said to me, and one of them competed against me, I just don't remember. It's like, it's like they said, it's a different time. I've got swimmers who are gay and lesbian now. I think you're absolutely right. You can find Keith Frostad on Instagram at Keith Frostad. His full name is Lawrence Keith Frostad, but he goes by Keith. Uh, Zachary Draves has a website, nutsandboltsports.com. Uh, he's also on social media. Last name is D-R-A-V-E-S. 
I just thought that conversation was so interesting. We know that homophobia exists in sports, and we know that in the 70s and 80s and 90s, uh, it was often very present. It, things have changed a lot. But it is a really important reminder that some of the people who paved the way for the rest of us went through hell. And obviously, it's regrettable to hear the hell that Keith had to deal with. But, you know, he's, he's still here. He's stronger for it. And glad that he is sharing his story now. Uh, thanks for joining us. And check out the full written feature on Outsports. And also be sure to check out Zachary Drave's work at nutsandboltsports.com. Mm-hmm.